Well, welcome to tonight's episode of Behind the DM Screen. This is uh, where the show where three DMs get together and talk about our games and get advice and chat and and talk about all the cool things we're doing and uh, and really Andy and I just sit around listening to all of Mike's awesome ideas um, <laughs> and steal every single one of them. That's right, steal them all. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to put 15 minutes on the clock, and tonight I am going to go first. So let me start the timer, and boom, here we go. Well, I have three things to talk about. Um, one thing I mentioned on the last episode was that I was going to I was going to run a Hollow Earth expedition game, and I ran that one, so I'm going to mention that. And then uh, I'm going to mention uh, the next campaign that I am currently planning that's going to start in a couple months. And then I'm going to mention... Um, Something that Jeff Greiner, Jeff Greiner, Jeff asked Greiner. me to talk about, uh, and I'm going to talk about that first because uh, it might be of interest to everyone, and maybe it'll hold everybody's interest. Um, all all the audience, including you two, um, we were discussing the newest uh, release on the Wizards of the Coast website of the Eberron rules for Fifth yeah. Edition. And we talked about the rules for Artificer, and I was saying how I really liked the way that they did the Artificer. That it probably, it, I mean, it, it needs a little bit of work because it's basically a, 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 like a playtest document. But that I really liked the rules for for creating potions and and creating scrolls and things like that. And Jeff Greiner asked me uh, how I could possibly like those when I play a low magic. Uh, my setting is a low magic setting. Like it, it doesn't have, you know, I don't make. I don't have magic items in every tomb and, and every dungeon, and I don't have players running around with 10 or 15 magic items. And even when I uh, ran 4th edition games, there weren't, you know, they weren't, they didn't carry around bags of magic items like, like the game kind of assumed that they would. Um, and so he asked me to explain how in the world I could like the Artificer and, and, and have a game where someone could at second level start making potions, and yet I would still call it low magic. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that for about two minutes because mm -hmm. it's very, very simple. Um, making a potion and, and being an Artificer means that you can mystically imbue items with with a touch of something special. It doesn't mean that suddenly everything that you touch becomes entirely magical and you're putting something in the world that is that is magical above and beyond anything that was possibly ever there before and you know, I, I my setting is not like you know the Forgotten Realms where there is what what do they call it the weave or whatever which which is where the strands of magic are or spell weave with spell weave yeah whatever it is I mean I I don't have something like that the magic in my world works a little bit differently and it's just not very abundant you know there aren't you know first level and fifth level and twelfth level magic users running around in every large town there might be one mm -hmm. you know one you know, sort of mid-level magic user running around in a town you're not going to find one in every village what you're more likely to find in a village is someone who's a very good craftsman or who's an herbalist who can make certain things and so the way I would use the artificer isn't of course exactly as it's written I would use it as somebody who can create these potions and maybe those potions aren't really magical maybe it's right. just to the sort of natural healing stuff, you know, it's herbs and different, you know, it's it's sort of tantamount to using a venom to create the antivenom, mm -hmm. you know, it's that sort of thing, and so that's so how I would... It's more like alchemy than in magic, right? Right, it's more like alchemy, but even, you know, in, in, 
even more, you know, it can go in any direction, right? Maybe when they get higher level, they do realize that some of what they're doing is is pulling magic from whatever the source of magic is and in, in whatever setting it is, you know? And so it's completely within my mind to be able to talk about how these things could work and, and how you can make, you know, a plus one weapon doesn't have to always be magical, right? Uh, it doesn't have to have, you know, see, I like... I like magic items to have a story and to be interesting and new and different. And so that's one of the reasons why there aren't just a, a crap load of magic items everywhere. Because magic items were special things. They were, you know, I wouldn't go all to say that they're all at the level of like what we would call an artifact in traditional D&D terms. But they are special, you know. Um but just a regular plus one sword, well, that could just be a sword that's very well crafted. It's got the right balance and it has a very sharp edge and it's made from, you know, material that was treated exactly perfect to, to keep that edge for a long time. And you know what I mean? So so a craftsperson could make that, could make a very nice weapon that, that would be the equivalent of a plus one, but maybe it's not magical, you know. And that's something that an artificer could, you know, if they could... If they were some sort of craftsperson or if they were a potion maker or an herbalist or something, that's how I would use that um, because I am in a low magic setting. But it makes perfect sense to me. You know, Just because I say I'm in a low magic setting doesn't mean that nothing can be magical. When that person, that class, whoever that artificer is, gets to really high levels, yeah, you know what? They're probably using magic. And maybe they learned part of that from the wizard in the party. You know, maybe they maybe they learned about the different you know traditions of arcane knowledge, and they're putting that to use in their craft that they learned. It doesn't mean that everything you know they touch suddenly is turning to magic. So that's my explanation, Jeff. There you go. I I, I did what you asked, and I and I, and I talked about it and, and told you about it. So and, and that that really sounds like the same way I, I would approach it. I, I kind of prefer the lore magic settings myself as well yeah um and that that's just perfect description for me yeah and i mean it's not that it's not that my setting doesn't have any magic i mean obviously there's magic you know dragons can wield magic and there are some wizards and there there's even a wizarding school you know um but it's just not something that everybody can tap into. It's not something that, every, you know, the towns don't have, you know, floating magical lanterns everywhere and continual light spells cast all the time, you know, in places. And, you know, it just doesn't happen like that. Um, but, you know, I don't care if somebody else wants to have that in their game. That's just not my game. So that's the first thing. So the second thing is that Hollow Earth Expedition game that I, that I said I was going to run. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and what happened was the the party got on the Hindenburg, and they traveled from New York. <laughs> yeah, they were wondering if I was going to uh, blow them up uh, before the end of the game, but I, I didn't. I wasn't that mean. Um, that would have been the equivalent of, oh, yeah, let's do all this setup, play for an hour, and then you get on the Hindenburg. Oh, it blows up into a fiery ball <laughs> you, you, you gotta love like the the, the the like okay you're about to board the hindenburg no metagaming <laughs> that's right <laughs> and they all just stare at you yeah. with their eyes yeah blind. that would have been like rocks fall everybody dies yeah, I'm right, right. see you later yeah no it was fun uh, let's catch a ride on the titanic <laughs> <laughs> i thought of doing something like that um so they go down to rio and they they are looking for um this person who they have they've been hired to go um get this person's journal and this contact that they're seeking out has gone crazy 
for whatever reason. And uh, he has a journal that has a, a special code. It's got a message and a special code with it. And they find the guy, and somebody has just attacked him, and he's basically he basically dies. But they find his journal, and um, half the party chases the guy who, who crawled out the window when they came in, the guy who had, had beat up the, the contact. And they figure out that the guy is part of the Nazi party. Because, um, you know, Hollow Earth Expedition is a pulpy game where, you know, you go into the hollow the, the hollow center of the Earth and you might see dinosaurs. And, hey, there might be a Nazi riding that dinosaur. So that's the kind of game it is. So they, they discover that there are these Nazis in town in, in Rio de Janeiro. Um, and so half the party stays back in the hotel and tries to uh, to uh, decode the, the message that's in the journal, this poor old man's journal who's now dead. Uh, and the other half decide that they're going to go off and they're going to search around Rio and they're going to attempt to um, to find information about the Nazis. They want to know where they are, how long they've been there, what their plan is. And they go around, and I'm not going to go through all the boring details, but there was this really funny part. They, they talk to the um, person downstairs at their hotel and the guy gets them a cabbie who knows how to be discreet. And that cabbie is willing to take them anywhere because they're rich Americans, relatively speaking, and they tip really well. So the, the guy at the hotel says, just tip this guy really well. He'll take you wherever he wants to go. So they travel around and they find all this information out. And then they go back to the hotel and the cabbie says, oh, and he's speaking broken English. And he says, oh, do you want me to come back tomorrow? And they finally figure out that's what he's asking. They tell him, no, we don't need you anymore. Go ahead and go. And as they're walking back into the hotel, they realize, oh, crap, there was one place we didn't go that we need to find out about. So they go out. And of course, the guy who was their good cabbie is long gone and they just hail a regular cab. But the regular cab, the guy does not speak any English. So they drive around for him for a while, and they asked him to take them to the rich part of town because they found out that the Nazis were renting this big mansion in the rich part of town. And he doesn't understand. He thinks they want to go to where the rich tourists go. So he takes them all around to all these touristy destinations and never goes where they actually want to go. So they can't figure out how to uh, contact how, how to sorry how to communicate with him, and so they end up commandeering his cab, and they basically pull a gun out on him. They put him in the back seat, pull a gun out on him, tell him to be quiet, and they try to get him to to tell them where the Nazis are, and he keeps saying no say, and they think he means I can't say. I can't say. I'm not going to say. I won't tell you where they are. And so they're like punching the guy and they're they're scaring the guy and they pull their gun out and they try all this. Well, no say means I don't know in Spanish. <laughs> and so the whole time he's saying no say, no say, you know, and they're like, why won't you say punch him in the face? And they drive around and they and at first it wasn't going to be any big deal. But I realized after that because. One of them tried to pull his gun, and the other one said, no, 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 don't treat the guy like that. Don't pull a gun on him. And then they put him in the back seat, and the guy who had said, no, don't pull your gun, questions the guy for like two minutes. And then he decides to pull the gun. And as soon as I realized, oh, they don't know what he's saying, they think he's trying to speak broken English. But everything else he has said has been like in Spanish. And I speak a, a little bit of Spanish, so I can speak a really good Spanglish, you know. And <laughs> that's what I'm doing. And so they think he's just putting them on and that he won't he just won't take them. And so they really treat this guy really bad. And he ends up uh shitting himself, basically. Sorry, explicit tag. 
he ends up crapping himself and they take him back to the hotel and and because they realize, oh, wait, the guy who's decoding the journal, he speaks Spanish. Let's take this guy to the hotel. So they walk into the hotel and the guy that speaks Spanish who's decoding the thing is a snooty professor. And he is absolutely appalled that they have got this guy who smells like crap because he crapped himself. And they he makes them get let the guy take a shower and he talks to the guy. And that's when they learn from me, the DM that no say means I don't know. <laughs> and they were like, oh my God. So we spent a really long, good time <laughs> playing with the language barrier. Um, and they got exactly what they deserved. <laughs> if, they, if they had just treated the guy well, because see, when the guy said, oh, no, no, don't pull your gun, put the gun away, I thought, oh, okay, they're going to treat him well. I'll let them work through the language barrier like they did with everybody else that they've been talking to. But instead, <laughs> they decided to be jerks so you know i had to just make it so that they they strung themselves up by their own petards and uh so yeah so they didn't get to find out uh, all the information they wanted so that was a great deal of fun um and everybody was laughing i mean nobody you know it wasn't it wasn't a, a bad thing nobody was mad or anything it was it was a lot of fun Hmm. So that's that's what happened with that game. We still have to finish. There, that's a two-part. I have a really hard time running a one-shot game. They always string into a two-shot. So we still have the second half of that that we need to finish here in the next month or so. Um, and I've got two minutes left, and I want to talk about uh, my idea or, or what I'm actually doing. It's not even going to take two minutes uh, about what I'm doing with my next campaign. What I'm going to do is I'm going to run the campaign of the Great Madrone March. I don't know if you know that product. It's a second edition product hmm. about, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, an, it's a Planescape product. And basically how it works is this. Every so often, every 286 years or something like that, the Madrones, Modrons, yeah, Madrons, whatever, yeah. however you pronounce it. I always <laughs> say Madrones. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? They, um, they're from the, the plane of Mechanus, right? And they, uh, they're the, the clockwork things, and they either have like one eye or two eyes or three sides, and so they're, they're named for monodrone, you know, tridrone, all that kind of stuff. So they're pretty interesting little weird things. Um, they go through this march across the plains, and they go into all these different plains, and they, nobody knows why they do it, but everybody knows when they do it, because of course they're the clockwork, um, they're on the clockwork plane. They, they, they keep time. So everybody knows it's going to happen at a certain time, so everybody prepares for it. And then it happens, and then everything's fine for another 286 years or whatever. Well, in this campaign, it's a written campaign. It's a published campaign. They, they show up, and they do their march too early. Something's wrong. They do it too early. And during the march, there's a whole bunch of rogue madrones that, that go off and modrons however you pronounce it whatever a bunch of rogue ones leave and a whole bunch of weird stuff starts happening and and there's a reason why it's all happening and then that product it's it's a 196 page book or something is followed up with the the, the last part of it by another product um where they find out why everything has happened like that so that's the campaign i'm gonna run Hmm. Of course, greatly modified, uh, and so that so it, my group is extremely excited because I said Planescape, and they're like, oh, and you know, so they're, <laughs> they're really happy about that because they like Planescape. Um, so I'm I'm really excited about prepping it, but I haven't run a Planescape game in a really long time, and it's been a really long time since I've done anything sort of even even close to something, um, and I've never run this particular campaign, and I and I have not really used. Um, 
the the mechanis plane as the base for anything. So it's it's going to be a really big learning experience for me, and I'm really excited. But I'm I'm I've got a lot of prep to do for it, uh, just in terms of getting the flavor right. So this this will also be the first campaign I've run in a really long time that is not in my not taking place primarily on my home setting. So I f- I feel like I'm behind the eight ball to to make this really really a fun thing. And of course, you know, Planescape has that whole language thing. So there, there's all kinds of slang that I have to uh, re-indulge uh, myself in or, or re-immerse myself in. So mm-hmm. so that's me. And my 15, my 15 minutes is up, unless you have questions. That's, sounds like you're uniquely qualified for running this. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly I like languages. I don't know what happened. With that. <laughs> it was great fun. You know, every once in a while there's one of those moments when you think something's going to go one way and the players completely misunderstand something and it turns into just an extremely fun scene. That's right. what that was. Right. Um, and it, you know, th- those don't happen every time. They, they don't happen every session. Uh, sometimes depending on the group and the game, you know, if you run a really serious game, sometimes it doesn't hardly happen at all. Not that co- other cool things don't happen, but, but not, it doesn't always happen like that. And it was just a really nice moment. It was really fun. So that was, that was really good. Yeah. Those are the times that are hard to manufacture. They just kind of happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can't plan it. If I'd planned it, it would have fallen on its face probably. So. All right, well, that's my 15 minutes of fame. Andy's up next. Oh, speaking of falling on its face. Oh. <laughs> Ouch, unintended segue. Uh, okay, well, I, uh, we had two sessions in between the last recording and this one. Um, when we uh, started off the last session, I had this party split in half. There were uh, the two of the uh, PCs were hunting with a chaperone from the um, – from the uh, cult's uh, mercenary parties, mm-hmm. and the other two were, were sticking back to Greenest to uh, urge the governor to move the residents out of town because they're going to fail and the dragon's going to come attack the town again. Hmm. Um, where where were, is the dragon now? This is uh, Lanathon. Yeah, Lanathon. He, he he's just kind of hanging around. Hmm. Um, you know, he said he said he gave them the mission that in, that um. You know, the cult's got this orb that they use to control him, mm-hmm. and so he wants it back. Um, he didn't tell them that, but I, uh, they figured it out during the course of the adventure. That that it, It's it's a tune, though, so it can, it's not like any PC can pick it up and control the dragon. It's, it's yeah, one right. – the person who created it, basically, is the only one who can use it. Um, and while they're in town, they, they picked up a, a new party member uh, to replace the one that died before. Uh, so we got five players again. Um, but was, the governor, that, was that Jeff's character by any chance? No, no. Oh, I'm I, I, he, his was the first. Can you one. kill Jeff's character yeah. for us? Well, well, I did the first session. He okay, was, he was the first. Nice. Session. Could you okay. could you do it again? <laughs> I tried. I tried. <laughs> I, there's several times where I have these guys down, but they just get back up. I just <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh. But uh, it, it was uh, the the player who had the uh, little girl PC. Mm-hmm. Um, so he missed a session, but then he came back with an elf monk. Um, so yeah, the governor said, you know, I can't really move these people. They're still recovering, you know, too many injuries, and there's an illness starting to arise. So you really got to take care of this drag problem for us. <laughs> yeah. So while they were doing that, the second group was hunting with their chaperone, and during the middle of the night – 
during one of their watches when the when the the chaperone was doing was on his watch the dragon came by and ate him <laughs> nice so uh one of the pieces is an elf and so he's in his trance or whatever so he wakes up first and sees the dragon there munching on bones and the remainder <laughs> wow and he's like Picking so so we're, so where's my orb and he's like and the pc is like well we, we still have a few days left right <laughs> Yeah, I like to check up on people. (laughs) (laughs) I like to micromanage. (laughs) But he's getting a little – the dragon's getting a little antsy, though. So so he says, well, well, you know, if you can't get it, just destroy it. So it gives them an in because they they really didn't think they could smuggle it out of of camp. So this gives them another angle they could take. Um, So the the party reconvenes, of course. Uh, Jeff, who who plays the cleric, is like – what happened to the chaperone? Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> we got problems. We got to kill the dragon. We got to kill, you know, the, the dragon. Where's the chaperone? And what's that pile of goo over there? <laughs> what are we going to do? So they, they, they came up with a couple stories, um, none of which were very convincing. <laughs> but they decided to try and, and head back anyway. They, they, they were going to – ultimately, they decided to say that uh, – the. The chaperone was accidentally killed by the elf's hunting party, so so the elf, who's the new character, uh, decided to take his place as a kind of honor thing. <laughs> hey, that's a good story. <laughs> it can be, yeah. So they got back into town, and the leader of the mercenaries just happened to be checking up on the on the gates when they came in and said, "Oh, where, where's where's my guy? You know, I sent my dude with you." Uh, let's go to my tent and talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so they, they laid out his story. I had them, you know, roll their persuasion or, or bluff checks or whatever. And uh, they, they didn't do so well in there. And he's like, you know, normally what I would do is, is uh, you know, have a fake trial and execute you. Uh, but there's this problem. We're going on a raid tomorrow and I need everybody. So I'm going to confine you to quarters and you're going to go on the raid with us. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that they thought, okay, but we got these prisoners we have to we have to free. So how are we going to do that? So here here's where the fun starts. Uh, Jeff's character, the, the cleric, decides, you know, I'm going to get really sick, and they'll, they'll have to leave me behind because I'll be too sick. So so, so you know, uh, the, have the, the druid make something for me that will just make me vomit all over. And that worked remarkably well, and he failed his constitution save. So. <laughs> He made quite a mess, so he, he got out of having to go. Uh, <laughs> I'm sick. I can't go on the raids. <laughs> I feel good. But so others are this going is the cult of the dragon who told him that he's got to go raid villages, or is this the mercenary? It's, it's the mercenary leader. Okay, got it. Yeah, because yeah, he needs all, all the people he can get because he's running low on mercenaries, and then <laughs> he's got this deal with the cult and everything. And, I have a and contract. So, in contract, yep. <laughs> got to fill that quota. Right. So they decide, okay, so the other four, their job is to destroy the egg, which is presumably going with the raiding party, and try and escape the um, the army and run ahead and warn the town that there's this raiding party coming from them. So they're like, oh, okay, we'll do that. So they get out. The first thing they notice is that uh, the dragon egg isn't going with because uh, there's a new contingent of the cultists in town who are going to be leaving the raiding party. <laughs> so now we have any more fun because they said, well, one of us now has to stay behind because of the change of plans. One of us has to go ahead. So they, they try to 
they tried to split in half at that point. So two of them were going to go with, and one of them was going to, and two of them were going to stay behind. Uh, but again, they got caught uh, by the leader. Um, he decided to take one of them as his personal attaché. Said, no, "No, you're coming with me. You're staying right next to me this whole trip." <laughs> <laughs> so now we got two people on their own. Um, and as it as the um, as the army or raiding party or whatever starts to leave camp, uh, the wizard manages to succeed in his uh, slinking away role. <laughs> It's a new skill. Look it up. <laughs> so he's on his own, but he's at least in camp where the where the druid is. Uh, during the course of the march, uh, the elf is able to escape because the elf's also a monk, so he has like a forty five movement. So he, he'll be <laughs> alone. He'll be able to get to the village well advance of the army and. So they decide alone he'll be able to warn the village and, and the others can just try to escape and get back to town. So now we have – And they're going back to Greenest? No, back, back, back to camp I mean. OK. Uh, the, the raiding party is going to another town. They're going that's, to a different town, yeah. Going to a different town that's within a, like a day and a half march. Right. Um, so now I have five PCs, all of them all alone by themselves. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> You can must be hell to run. Right? I mean, that's like perfect. Yeah, at first I thought, this is awesome. Then I thought, how am I going to run this? Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, run it and give everybody a chance to shine. Right. And, and I think ultimately that's kind of where I failed. And, and the one player in particular, I failed him that session and the next session that we'll talk about. So I feel really bad about that. Um, that, that would be the monk character because the, the, all he really had to do is go ahead and warn the village. And all the action kind of is taking place back at camp, um, as the the um, druid character was able to, you know, say, "Oh, I got to go take a whiz and get out of the army and, and, and escape." And I got the ranger out. He was the one with the with the uh, mercenary leader by having the mercenary ha- give him this book to bring back to uh, uh, the leader of the cultists. You know, because you know, the raiding party has, of course, the mercenaries and the cultists. And the kobolds are part of the cultists. So the the leader of the mercenary portion had, had this book that he wanted uh, this character to deliver to the um to the leader of the the cult. And at first, the PC was like, "Okay, I'll go do that." And all the other PCs were like, "Dude, it's your out." <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Oh yeah, it's my out." <laughs> so he was able to escape. Uh, so back at camp, uh, the cleric is you know, recovers from his sickness and uh, manages to get over to where the prisoners are. And, and, and uh, of course, there's there's a guard there at the prisoners, and he's like, oh, "What are you here for?" And he says, I, "I'm here to let you let you um, you know take some time out, you know, take a break." So no, I can't take a break. What, you you want one of the prisoners for something? Here here have it. These prisoners are fine. You need them to clean up or something? He says, no, no, no. I want you to go take a break. <laughs> so ultimately he finally gets gets the guy to, to take off, but he takes two of the prisoners with him for whatever madness he has planned to do with them. And uh, so then at that point, uh, 
he's able to free the prisoners and and the the monk from the book that I don't really use at all is there. So I I had him there so that he could take or Lanthar. Yeah, Lanthar. Right. Yeah. So so he could take the prisoners from there and bring them back to town, leaving the party to focus on taking care of the dragon orb. Um, so while he's doing that, the ranger got back into town and got together with the wizard, and they went searching for the dragon egg. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, detect magic. Well, it's the only magic thing in camp, so <laughs> <laughs> they, they were able to find it pretty quickly. Um, this is – sorry for interrupting, but this sounds an awful lot like a scene that that works great in a movie – where you can flip back and forth between mm-hmm. here's what this guy's doing for three minutes, yep. leave it on a cliffhanger. Here's what this guy's doing for three minutes, leave it on a cliffhanger. Here's what this other guy's doing for three minutes, leave it on a cliffhanger. But it turns out that's really hard to do during a session. Yeah, and and that's exactly how I was trying to run it. Um, mm-hmm. Although you know some characters it just didn't make sense to go to them until enough time had passed for them to be somewhere interesting. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you know, and that that's why the the monk really was kind of backseated the whole time. You know, you, when you look at the, the credits on the, on the movie title, he's like the on the second screen. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the uh, the ranger, because of how long it took him to get out, really didn't get back to camp until all the most of the action was done. Um, so it, w- it was really just the, the three that I kind of – that were able to together – Find the dragon orb and confront uh, Furlan. Furlan. Frulam. Frulam. Yeah, well, she's yeah, the one. you want to pronounce it? Frulam Mondath is how Mon- I pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's the one who who is attuned to this particular egg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So they're, yeah. they're so what what I wanted to see from them to destroy the egg was a huge amount of blunt force trauma, and they kept trying to stab it while during the fight and, and shoot arrows at <laughs> it. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's good. Yeah, resistance to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they, they were, and ultimately they prevailed. Um, although they, I don't think they were able to drop any of the cultists before they turned and fled. You know, in, to preserve their own life, um, and escape camp. Uh, so once they did that, uh, they reconvened, and finally they were all back together again. And went back to Greenest. So the village, the, the, the next town that, that the raiding party was going after was warned, and the dragon orb was destroyed. So hey, they, they got those two those two wins under their belt. Um, so, got back so to, yeah, did they get back together? Yeah, they got back together and headed okay. to Greenest then. Gotcha. Um, and in Greenest, the illness had turned into a plague. Mm. So we spent, mm. you know, they spent a few days. You know, helping take care of the village, solving the plague. The plague was um, just kind of a natural thing that came. I, I, I didn't have it to be something related to the cult or anything nefarious. It's just, you know, these things happen. Yeah. Especially when there's a lot of dead people around that you can't bury quick enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, and once the, when they finish that up, they, they find out from um, a traveler that the um, – the the cultists have decamped, so that they decide to go back and investigate, which is good because 
that's kind of where I want him to go next, so we could do the the dungeon crawl portion. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And that bridges us to the second session. They, they kind of started out at the second session at the gates of the um, or the gates at the entrance to the cave. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me tell you about the traps in this cave. <laughs> they <laughs> trigger every single trap. Of course. <laughs> in this cave. Oh my god, I fell in the fungi. <laughs> and, and at one point, one of the players even said, don't you guys realize there's traps everywhere? We should be looking for these things. <laughs> <laughs> and it must not have registered because they kept going. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so the, the kobolds weren't really that big of a challenge. Um, just the, their numbers were... Uh, it was... Kind of fun. Oh, is that my 15 minutes? Yep, sorry. Oh, darn. You can keep, keep talking. You've got okay. to, we'll, we'll let you extend for a minute. Okay. Uh, um, a couple of highlights from this were, uh, you know, the, the flying kobolds, I had them, you know, when they were shot out of the air, I, I had the monk make a uh, dexterity check, and he said, well, why do you need me to take my dexterity check? I said, because there's a kobold falling towards your head. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which he failed, so he had a kobold fall on top of him. <laughs> It didn't do any damage, but it kind of, you know, made things a little interesting. Um, another highlight was uh, um, Langder- Langderosa died yep. like a chump. <laughs> yeah, Cyanrath? Yeah, Cyanrath. They, they walked into the room and uh, a whole person on him, and they took him down. <laughs> nice. He didn't even yeah. get to say anything. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, bosses go down hard. Yeah. So uh, when they were done with that, I said, well, you know, there's this chest in the corner. And the wizard goes, oh, I pick up the chest. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> of course, that releases the acid. Yeah, right. Yeah. Spraying acid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's how I almost got the party dead. <laughs> nice. And then the, the final kind of uh, – two more highlights real quick. One, one of them's uh, not a low light, actually, <laughs> where uh, – I, I took too much time. They, they, they had two kobolds, and it's just two. They're throwing grenades at him. And the monk has this ability where he can, you know, catch a missile and throw it back. And, and you know, a missile fired at you. And I was like, well, you know, it's it's a grenade. It's a, it's an area of fact, and, and they're just throwing it in your general direction. And I haven't been hot about whether I should give disadvantage or And you know what? I really flubbed that, and I should have just said, okay, you know, do what you got to do to see if you can throw it back. Yeah. But I was being a little too particular there and too um, – I wasted too much time and I kind of disappointed the player in the process. And everybody learned from this. Well, you know, sometimes, you know, you you make a call and it, it something about it felt right and you made the call and then you, you realize pretty quickly that maybe you should have just done it differently. I, I've done that. I still do it and I've got lots of experience and, you know, it's just something that happens. Um and, and the worst thing is I spent too long to make the call, yeah. too. I, you know, I was, um, but the last thing that was kind of fun that I wanted to say is uh, they did find where the eggs were, mm-hmm. but they only found one egg. Uh, so they, they fought the um, the drakes that were guarding it. And when they were done, the roper was looking over them. You know, just kind of watching them. And, and it, I was kind of bait, trying to bait them because there's one character that was really kind of heavy-handed that night who was just attacking, attacking, attacking. So, you attack the rope? <laughs> yeah. 
But they, they managed to refrain from attacking the roper, so it just kind of washed them as they picked up one of the eggs and walked out with it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but so, so, yeah, there we go. Two sessions. So do you feel like you're getting more comfortable behind the screen? Um, other than the, the, the couple of flubs there with, with the, and unfortunately with the same player, the same PC, um, I think I am. I'm also getting to the point where I'm real, where I'm thinking about how I want to, how I want to divert things from the adventure as written. You know, there, there'll still be a lot of similarities between. Yeah, I mean, you've you've gone pretty off the rails already in yeah. a few ways. Yeah. yeah. And at the end, of the, and then once sessions, Jeff was like, you know, some of that stuff wasn't in. <laughs> <laughs> He should not be surprised. Uh, and he wasn't. He was just... I think he was pointing right. out for the other players. That's good. All right. Mike, are you ready? All right. Sure. It's on the clock. Go. Uh, so I don't really want to talk too much about the game that I ran. I have a couple of interesting topics for discussion uh, that are related All to right. the game. Um, so I, I'm up to episode seven, uh, which is the second to last chapter of the uh, horde. You know, the the first horde, the, the Dragon Queen, like the first adventure Are you of the do two. The second half, you're going to do Rise of Tiamat. Yeah, my, so my my plan is that with my home Wednesday group, we're going to continue on all the way through. Uh, with my Sunday group, which is my organized play group. Uh, we're gonna switch over to we're gonna we're gonna finish horde and then I gotta come up with some kind of glitzy conclusion for them, and then uh, we're gonna switch over to uh, uh, princes of the apocalypse just so we can stay on stay on with the organized play program because if not we'd be six months out of date, um, which disappoints a couple people who've been there the whole time but everybody kind of agrees the hard part is you can't really have an organized play game with in an open store with an open invitation and expect people to show up with level thirteen right. characters. Um, so, you, you know, we kind of got to reset. Uh, so the hunting lodge is the first episode where they teleport through the big, um, portal in the bottom of Castle Neritar. Uh, so to be really quick, the group went through the, the, the mirror of dead men. They found a quest giving black dragon who said, get me a book and get me an amulet. Um, and here's some lizard people that will help you. Uh, they led a lizard revolt against the castle, uh, you know, lizards versus nice. bullywugs. Uh, lizards, lizards killed the bullywugs. Uh, the group fought a bunch of dragon cultists, including um, uh, the guy who ran the place. Uh, they went down to the caverns. In the bottom of the caverns, they found that there was an ancient uh, cult of the dragon tomb back when the, dra- the cult of the dragon was mostly interested in dracoliches. Um, there was a tomb down there, and the tomb is actually where the black dragon mask came from. Mm. Uh, they learned this all in lore. This is all mostly BS. It's not in the adventure, but it, I thought it was cool. And uh, they also found that there's a portal down there. And the portal is this ancient Cult of the Dragon portal. And when they step through, uh, it takes them to the Hunting Lodge, which is, you know, 1,500 miles southeast of where they just were. Um, and as one of the players recognized, is very close to where the whole thing began. Like, are we, did we just go 1,000 miles north so we could travel 800 miles south? You know. <laughs> So that was kind of interesting. Um, so there they fought a troll named Trespin, who is a – in the book, he's a four-armed troll. In mine, he has six arms because I have a Hexer mini that has six arms. 
Um, and I wanted to be accurate to the mini. And also my party can handle a six-armed troll. Uh, and then they fought some cult of dragon people, and then they went into the the um, the hunting lodge itself, which is sort of this super, you know, noble hunting lodge where, like, you know, elves go to vacation. And, uh, but now it's taken over by the cult. And inside they find out that one of the characters, my wife's character, who plays a noble elf named Lady Arendelle, she recognizes this place. She said, I used to come here as a kid 50, 150 years ago. And her cousin is um, Talia, or uh, Talus the White. You know, Talus Arendelle, or, you know, is her name. So that way I got to tie, like, one of the villains to, you know, she's actually a blood relative of one of the PCs, uh, which is kind of fun. Um, so that the, the probably, so there's two interesting things, I guess there's three interesting things that happened that, or that I'm, that I'm thinking about. Uh, one is in counterbalance, uh, according to the math of the DMG, uh, three trolls, which are CR fives versus six level six PCs is quote unquote, a deadly fight. And it's like cutting through paper for them. Like there's nothing deadly about that fight. Which one is it? Three uh, trolls? It's three trolls, three okay. CR five trolls, and according to the math, even when you do the ma- the 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 uh, um, multiplier, right? You reduce yeah. the multiplier so it doesn't mm-hmm. quite make it as bad. It's still considered a, a deadly fight. It's harder than a hard fight. But I, uh, one of my one of my current tricks is if the group is pretty is a pretty powerhouse group, uh, instead of using the average hit points, I'll use max hit points. I'll look at their hit dice plus mm-hmm. their con and make them max hit points instead. It's a nice quick way to make them a little bit more stout. Uh, and I maxed the hit points on the trolls. I gave like an extra third of the hit points to Trespin and gave him two extra attacks. And they still, I mean, it, it was a good fight. Like, you know, they, they had to figure it out. And they, but it wasn't deadly. Like, I think one person dropped after Trespin hit him with seven <laughs> attacks. Um, you know, but he had hit him with all seven and attacks. And what level are they again? They're six. They're level, six. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not even that high mm-hmm. yet, right? Like, we're not into the 13th and 14th level yet, but already the math is breaking down. Now, I don't, like, so one of the funny things I'm discovering is I'm looking on Twitter and, like, I'm seeing people post posts and stuff like that, and it seems like every class is considered overpowered, which means they're not overpowered. That means they're all mm-hmm. about even, yeah. right? Like, everyone's like, oh, rangers, they dish out so much damage. Oh, monks, they dish out a lot of damage, have a lot of attacks and stun. And, oh, you know, me with the moon druids, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, right. Oh, moon druids. But then you're like, yeah, but a barbarian with with sentinel, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, they lock you down and they only take half damage. It's really lethal. Well, that means they're all pretty tough, right? That means I I don't have to worry about one character overshadowing everybody because they're all whooping a lot. I mean, this isn't to mention the, you know, three fireball casting wizard who, like, just Mm -hmm. cleans rooms out. And if they're an evoker, they could just pop their friends right out of the attack. So they could, like, you know, blast an entire room, not hurt anybody that they care about, and kill everybody else. So everybody's pretty powerful. Well, okay, no problem. I'll just up the, you know, up the difficulty of the monsters. Um... But the but the math is kind of breaking down. So I, I'm I'm trying to figure out like I, I want to have a system for determining relative accuracy of the power. So I'm not just totally winging it, which I could probably do. But you know, then it's kind of swingy. I have no idea if it's going to be lethal or too easy. Plus, you like to have um, a good idea. Like if you, if if the thing is, yeah, if you have I'd to like wing it every time, then you really don't know every time. Like, it's different right. not knowing one time, but having to wing right. it every yeah. I I like a guide. So I, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I like a guide too. And I and, and so that so it seems like the encounter balance the encounter building rules in the DMG 
have two major problems. One, they're way too complicated. And two, they don't work anyway. Right. So what I what I'm trying to figure out instead is I think it's that multiplier that's the problem. And I think the reason the reason the multiplier is the problem is it kind of accounts for action economy, but not really. And the way you need, you know, the, the math I have going on my head, which I don't think quite works yet, is essentially you divide players by monsters, and the, that's the multiplier by which you multiply the experience points of the monsters. And I need to kind of figure out the math and see if that works. Essentially, what you're saying is if there are more monsters, then every monster above the PC increases the overall experience budget of the, all the monsters. Likewise, if you have fewer monsters than, P, than PCs, they they can have more experience points per monster hmm. uh, to make up for the fact that they don't have as much, you know, time on the right. time on the map. Um, so one of the issues is I think they're going to kick the crap out of that dragon. Hmm. You know, like there's a dragon in the last chapter and it has 200 hit points and they just beat the crap out of a 160 point troll in two rounds. Yeah. You know, and I don't want the big adult white dragon to show up and they're like, oh man, that was that was a cakewalk. And you know he, you know the dragon's got fear, and the dragon has breath weapons, and the dragon's got a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so I think, but but he doesn't have a lot of hit points, and the AC's high; it's like an AC eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the AC? But they hit all the, the time. Just offhand, do you remember? Fifteen. So yeah, that's AC not fifteen. That different. Yeah. Yeah. Not that different. And boy, the amount of crits that shows up because everybody's attacking with three, four, five attacks. Like the monk is throwing tons yeah. of dice out, and they have advantage a lot. So I think I'm going to have to like a throw some more monsters in with that dragon, and also max the dad the dragon. You know, points. I I haven't not to totally interrupt you, but I haven't run a fifth edition game at sufficiently high level to have a lot of the PCs having multiple attacks. But in second edition, right. in my second edition game that I run, several of the PCs have multiple attacks, and mm-hmm. it's just it's a kill. The 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 encounter math does not work because of all of it because it's basically like look if that fighter gets five attacks every two rounds that's like five fighters you know that's that's nothing man you should but see I'm, it I'm just me. i'm just throwing out numbers <laughs> right no no I know. i'm just throwing out numbers that you know <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just throwing out numbers just right. for example but think about that right. you know if right. they if they get sure. six attacks every round that's six fighters that's not one fighter with six attacks yeah. it's basically six fighters and yeah. and that's why the yeah. math falls apart it's really hard to account for that yeah, and then the game is pretty well balanced mm-hmm. for four. It's just, boy, you know, like when you add a fifth character and a sixth character, well, things, everything becomes much easier. Like a troll, you'd say, like, well, it's, you know, hit points are generally balanced around the fact that the mm-hmm. troll can regenerate unless it hits fire. If there's only four people, the likelihood of getting hit by fire is a lot less. If there's six, somebody's going to hit it with fire. Yeah, you know, before so that the end of the first so I think round. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Every, Every round, round yeah. is going to get hit with fire. Yeah, well, well, all right. two of them. Yeah. Right, because it's not going to last. So I'm, I'm I'm not complaining. I just need to refigure out how to handle encounter bouts. The really nice thing is battles are so fast. I can totally screw around with this stuff and not really, you know, make a battle last. Although I've had a couple battles now that have gone more than an hour, but mostly because there's like three different kinds of monsters. You know, it's a big big fight. Then like eight or nine things have to kill, and they're all big. Um, and that's that's kind of fun. Um, one of the other things that I'm figuring out is uh, I, I you know I never really paid much attention to magical attunement and one of the things that i was bothered by with fifth is it really felt like i was reading um you know some recommendation that the dmg has recommendations for like starting magic items and kind of expectations of magic items Mm -hmm. for characters and it's really low like it's four over an entire career a character 
And you know the, the BMG has like 120 pages of magic items, and I'm only going to get four. Like that means the life in the lifespan of a player, they're only going to get like ten. You know, and I've got 100 pages of magic items, so I want to give a lot more than that. Well, with attunement rules, you can. It just it turns them into Swiss Army knives, but it doesn't overpower them because they don't have 15 things at once. They only have three. So you can go ahead and give like a, a hat of disguise and a ring of protection and a you know a plus f- three sword and a plus two shield and some nice armor and some boots and some, you know three ion stones and that's fine because they can only pick which one of those you know which three of those twenty two magic items they can use. Now when with the t- so I'm, I'm I'm getting more liberal with the, with the magic items. If they take it off, do they start deattuning? How long does it have to be off before they deattune? It's a, it takes. It, so it takes them a short rest to attune right. to an item. So deattunement is okay. kind of the same thing, right? You're you're attuned until you pick your next one, and then you're you, you just swap them in. So you have three slots, and you just I just couldn't three remember slots. offhand if there was a time. Yeah, but yeah. you can't do it like in combat or anything yeah. like that. And we talked about that. Like you know, somebody was like, "Hey, I've got this amulet. Do you want it?" And they're like, "Well, we'd have to take a short rest before I can use <laughs> yeah. it." So yeah. that's good, right? It's right. a nice balancing mechanic. Just it's sort of. It's sort of like uh, um, concentration. It's a nice way of putting a max limit on stuff and giving people lots of options, but they can't do all of them. So I like that. And the last thing I wanted to talk about is a fantastic article article by Rodney Thompson about game prep. Did you guys see this? Uh, I don't know which article. Which article? So there's a. It was uh, a new. Let me pull it up in my head. It all loaded, and then I. Is there anything like that um, fantastic book by that Sly Flourish? It's not as good as the Sly Flourish book, but it's. I hear what that Sly Flourish guy is real modest too. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, how, how you know? How are you gonna? You can't have everything. Um, so it's the, the oh, and you're gonna love. You know what the title of the series is? Behind oh. the screens. Oh. Yeah. So I think we have a lawsuit issue. Right. Yeah, trademark infringement lawsuit. There's, Definitely. There's some problems here. I'll call them right now. Yeah, I'm sure. Except for our lawyers, which we don't have, are better than Hasbro. Um, so uh, it, the, the, it's a it's a, a an article of DM advice. It's fantastic, and the first one is called oh, the DM's oh, cheat sheet oh, by Rodney. This Thompson. is one of the three because they were or the they were going to do the Unearthed Arcana, and then there was going to be a DM one, and there's yeah. So this is the DM. This yes. is the name of the DM. Right. Is the behind? That's right. Yeah. The DM. Yeah, and he has this great discussion about how he preps for a game with like taking out a sheet of paper and writing down the main things. And he says like the the main things he writes down are the the main adventure interludes. Random encounters. Did I say three? I meant four. Uh, Spanish Inquisition, right? We have three things. Uh, the main adventure interludes, um, random encounters, and a recap. Um, and I, I really and, – and the one that grabbed me a lot was the idea of interludes. And his thing – his discussion of interludes is basically here's a list of things that will ha- that may happen during the game that don't really necessarily tie to the main story. They're not main seeds. They're not absolute have-to-have plot drivers, but they're things – and you know the examples he gives are a party's hireling asks to become a paladin squire. A band of black-armored riders thunders through a town, putting civilians in danger. A swarm of skeletal rats makes its way down the corridor, ignoring the heroes. You know, it's just weird oddities or, or, or mm-hmm. events, and he breaks them up into like character story arcs, campaign story arcs, you know, world texture, you know, things that – and and anyway, I love the idea of interludes. Um, and that, that, and I, sorry, go ahead. That's, that's interesting because that's um kind of exactly what I've been thinking of. I mean, not not to uh, 
call myself good or anything, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I've been kind of thinking back in my mind, little, little things I can just throw in here or there that, that aren't part of the story but are right. interesting and, and part of the world. Right, right. Like how do you – and what's – yeah, so there's, it's I, – I love that idea and I love – yeah, I hadn't really ever thought about this idea of writing down kind of a list of things that occur that aren't tied to the story. I'm almost so focused on the story part of it. Oh, I'm taking <laughs> yep, more time. We all did. So, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, and one of the ones that I really like is that he he focuses. You know, one of the types of put stories he puts on are character driven stories, and I would say that's that may be the most important one, um, because we just so we forget all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it's so you know, I know I forget all the time to even sit down and look at the PCs and say, oh, you know, maybe I ought to have one of the main villains be a blood relation of mm-hmm. one of the main characters. I mean, yeah, I'm totally know. stealing that. <laughs> Yeah, so like one of the ones I had, which was great, is Trespin, who's this troll. And I think in the book they say like he likes to fight a lot, which is the worst NPC right. description ever. But um, you know, so my thought was maybe he loved to fight a lot, and he was hired on to guard, and he never got to fight anything. <laughs> and he's pissed. He's like, I've been sitting at this stupid portal for six months waiting for bad guys, and all I got are a bunch of jackasses walking through with boxes, right? right. And so he's sitting there, and he's got his big crazy cloak on because he has this cloak. Oh, you know what? The cloak protects him from fire, and I forgot oh, to do that. See. Damn it. So don't forget about the fire cloak. So um, he's also festooned with magic items because our characters, PC players, rolled really well on the random encounter, random treasure chart. So um, so I had him standing there, and he looks, and here comes one of the main characters, who's the guy that fought Cyan Wrath and dueled him back, you know, forever ago. And he looks at him, and he says, you know, you're Balazar. And the guy's like, you know me? And he goes, yeah, I know you. You killed Cyan Wrath. I've been waiting for you for six months. And he pulls the cloak back, and he's got like six arms. He's like, come on. Yeah. You know? Like, finally, I get to fight you. But the fact that the PC's reputation now right. precedes him, um, which makes sense because where they went to is actually far closer to where that occurred than the mere mm-hmm. dead men was, way the hell north. Um, so those are the sorts of like character arcs that I wanted to add, and I've started, you know, jotting it down. Now, I, you know, I don't follow. Rodney's way of doing uh, game prep, but one I, you know, because I, I I did it his way just out of curiosity. Like, what would that look like? And what I found is when I wrote down uh, interludes and when I wrote down random encounters, they were often the same. And often I don't I don't know why I would write down a bunch of random encounters. I just write down stuff I'd want to do. You know, like I really want to have a scene where they go to this barn or they go to this stable and there's something screaming and banging on the walls of the stall and they don't know what it is and they look and it's wyverns there are four wyverns in the stable that have been chained there and they're like holy cow and they turn around and here comes this guy with a bunch of guards that are carrying cows to feed to the wyverns and he's whistling like you know i'm gonna go feed my wyverns you know and it's this fun and he's a coward like the guy that takes care of the wyverns is a total coward but the guards fight the pcs like that to me was a fun interlude um and it gave him a lot of good information and uh but you know i wasn't going to run that as a random encounter because i think it's a cool one mm-hmm. so yeah so i got you know the idea of having a separate interludes and random encounters i'm like well you could kind of make them the same thing your interludes and your random encounters may be the same thing um but i i, I love i love that approach it, it is similar to the one that i used uh you know i do the same thing like when i'm about to run a game uh, i'll sit down and write you know i'm literally on like it's the equivalent of a three by five piece of paper where's the game start uh what are the main beats of the adventure like what are the main three scenes particularly what has to happen to move the thread because when you're playing a published adventure you kind of have to make sure the thread keeps going 
I don't want to end up having to run five separate adventures for five PCs that all went off in different directions. <laughs> I don't know who would do uh, that. Yeah, I don't know. <sighs> Gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> um, and so I'd write the main beats. Um, and what I've started doing is writing what I call clues. And clues are just interesting bits of information that PCs can pick up in all sorts of different places that – are like interludes. They tell you something about the area that you're in. They give you a clue about something that's coming up. They foreshadow something that's coming up. Maybe they tie to a, a story of the player, but they're, you know, they could be crap you read in a book. They could be things that you see as hieroglyphics on the wall, you know, ancient kind of ancient symbology that's somewhere. They could be something that you beat out of the poor dude who takes care of the wyverns. Right. And I don't know where they're going to come up, but there's all these like interesting clues. So that's worked really well for me and it worked well in this adventure. So I'm having a fun time, but I got to figure out how to handle, um, you know, power levels of players, power levels of PCs. And it's, it's interesting how the power levels of my organized play group and the power levels of my Wednesday night group are very different, even though it's roughly the same amount of people at the same level. And it's because my home group, I guess they've been playing together now on and off for like, eight years or seven years or something like that. And they just, all of them know their beat. Even if whatever edition we're playing, they all know what they do. The, you know, I, I I they're not like thing. I have my, answers. I have my, yeah. my group that's playing second edition. The one that, that plays all the different games, hollow earth and basic. And they, they, yeah. they play yeah. gamma world. They play all those other different games and they pick up right. any new game like that, you know? Um, yeah. and, yeah. Yeah. and they've been playing together for a long time. Even the newer players are like not that new, you know? Um, right. And they're just really good. Even at low levels, they're really good. So their power level starts out really a lot higher than than my my fifth edition group, which all of them except for one are basically new. They've only been playing RPGs for a couple of years, so they just right. really don't have the skill. Even after two years, they don't have the skills of you know a normal. Yeah, so yeah. you know they just, can be yeah they can be fourth team. level. Yeah. And they're still struggling sometimes against something that I, I think should have been a not very challenging encounter just because they missed a clue or they, they just don't work as well together. And meanwhile, my second edition group like would have wiped the floor with that thing. And it's something I forget right. sometimes. I have to adjust my expectations, you know, so. Right. And it's hard to balance it that is, on the yeah. fly, right? Like yeah. you don't want to screw up and be like, wow, I, I put five trolls. Right. That was a mistake. Yeah. Um, well, one other observation, and I'll shut the hell up, and we can get on with our lives. <laughs> if we talk for um, long enough, this will become a two-part episode, so, you know. <laughs> oh, no, I don't want that to happen. It'll be 2016. So, um, just kidding. Um, so one of the funny things, I was, I was talking to, to Michelle about it. Believe it or not, we talk a lot about D&D. And uh, one of the things that I, it was a funny kind of moment of clarity for me is the very thing that I'm complaining about, which is a, a difficulty in balancing encounters correctly, uh, is also one of the reasons that I love fifth edition so much was that it's 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 an asymmetrical mm-hmm. game. Like it doesn't have this clean like 13th age is, you know, my my next favorite fantasy RPG. Um, you know, they're both really good. I'm not even sure I would say my next favorite. I, lo- I love them both dearly. And 13th Age has a very straightforward power curve. You know how much damage a guy's going to do. You know, there's, but in 5th, it's like there's these huge spikes and dips. You know, lightning bolt. Like you go from, well, I can, you know, I can blast for a little bit. So all of a sudden I've got 8d6 damage that I can hit with three guys at a time. You know, and it's like these weird ass spikes all over. And, you know, if you don't have somebody with fire, those trolls are going to beat your ass. But if you do have somebody with 
fire. It's not mm. going to be so hard. And it's this this asynchronous power level that I like about the game because it's got sharp edges and weird barbs. And, you know, sometimes everybody at the table right. is surprised, right. you know, and that's fun. Like it, that was what made the old D&D fun. I think that's something that was missing from fourth. And I think I put a lot of people mm. off on fourth. And I think we're seeing it again in fifth. And this is so it's the but it's the thing I'm complaining about. You can't really do good encounter right. balance uh, if if everything's asynchronous. So. And sometimes that's a good thing though, right? Because sometimes what happens is it turns out to be a much more exciting fight or whatever than you thought it was going to be. Um, and so mm-hmm. it, it could be seen as a good thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm like you. I don't super uber plan, and I do a lot of things on the fly. And I don't have right. to have absolute balance, but what I have to have is an idea how challenging I think this encounter is going to be. Even if I'm wrong, right. sometimes for the majority of the time, I want to know what that idea is. And and I and like right. I said, I don't necessarily you know I'm not opposed to having my first level characters meet something that's so powerful they're all going to die if they try to fight it. Like I I I'm, I'm a basic D and D player. They, that happens all the time, right? They have to learn <laughs> the clues of what you know what they have to do to placate that creature or or you know deal with it, parlay and you know beg for their lives, run away, do whatever they have to do, right? So that's not what it's not about balance. It's more about me being able to make sure that everybody can be involved and it's it has a challenge level that I'm comfortable with and it doesn't seem arbitrarily too hard or arbitrarily too easy cuz the thing is if I have my first level players and this has happened I rolled randomly I rolled a random encounter in basic D&D and I rolled the highest I could roll on the on the table of what they meet they met a freaking gold dragon Okay, right. That thing <laughs> like, could, you know, drool nice. on them and they're going to drown. You know what I mean? Right. But right. of course, gold dragons are intelligent. So it talked to them. So I, there was a lot of leeway there and it didn't seem arbitrary because they had a way out. If you take an encounter and suddenly it's so hard and they have to fight because of whatever cir- contextual circumstances there are that they perceive, it's going to seem very arbitrarily like they're being punished if they keep running into these encounters that are super duper hard. You know, and and that's just not you know it's not about the balance. It's about it's about that not not having the players feel like this is just an arbitrarily thrown at me thing that we can't we can't win. So we might as well just give up. You know. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. So one last question for you guys. Then we'll really (laughs) shut up. Um, Liar. So one of the one of the tricks I have about that whole like maxing the hit points of a monster just to you know it's a, it's an easy way to make sure a battle will go like three mm-hmm. rounds instead of two or two rounds instead of one is just you know take like uh, the example is the, um, the the dragon claws uh, that are inside the horde of the dragon queen book mm-hmm. um, they hit like freight trains but they have very few hit points which is fine but sometimes if you're fighting higher guys you're like I, I kind of want their hit points to be at least in balance with the way they're pushing out damage and then i'll just count them a little higher how how bsy how bad is it to actually change the hit points in the middle of a fight i don't think the character players will notice yeah so right on the assumption that the players don't notice that you're doing it like does it doesn't matter i mean that uh, totally a cheap you you know players close your ears but i I do that all the time here's you know if, if i think a fight's going on too long I lower their hit points on the fly. If I think it's going right. too quick, not enough of a challenge, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll extend them. 
Yeah, Sam, how do you do? You, do you do that? I have done it before. I, in my mind, here's the thing: if the players don't know, if they really don't know, see, there's a there's a real fine line between they don't know. Yeah. They might they might have an inkling, and you think they don't know. Like that's, but if they really don't know, that is no different than if you did it before the session started, right? Because they, Cause they it, don't it isn't... know, and and it's your job as a GM to make make things as challenging as you need them to be to, to push the story in different directions or to challenge them just because they need to be challenged or whatever. So if you notice that the HP or whatever is too low, then you change it. Like, not a big deal. As long as you don't, like, you don't, like, change the AC in the middle, you know, like, if you if they hit and they realize, okay, to hit this thing, I need a 14, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, they're hitting it too easy. I'm going to change the AC to 17. Then they're going to start missing. They're going to notice that crap, you know, like, you can't do that. But changing hit points, as long as they really don't know, then it's not a big deal, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it isn't – like in the published adventures, it's usually just average hit points anyway, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, so I mean, you know, I try not to do something like that. I try to do things like that before the session starts. But mm-hmm. uh, Although play, players do keep track. Yeah, they do. Like, but, oh. but, you know, ultimately it doesn't really matter. As long as they don't know, well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and and one thing is like there's no reason certain guys won't have different hit points like right. the old yeah. first yeah, yeah, edition yeah. ones. Oh, yeah, yeah they, they, after you know years of fourth edition, they expect everything to have the same hit points. But right. yeah, right. And, they, and they, actually, they, it, it didn't even occur to me until recently. Like, wait a minute, you know, with hit dice, I can pretty much make their hit points whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah, how did they, how did they roll? Yeah. Are these guys really tough? Same with attributes. Yeah. So, I always yeah. I always roll. This now. guy's strong. Yeah. I always, I always they were surprised the first time they, they ran into a cobalt that didn't go down on the first hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, thanks for listening, and uh, hopefully you will you enjoy the show and you get something out of it. And uh, uh, I, I'm I'm probably going to come next time we record. I'm going to come with lots of questions and 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 things to figure out because I'll be deep in the midst of of prepping my my next campaign. So so it'll it'll be a little more a question answer thing, kind of like Mike's. Mike's thing tonight, which I, I find probably is more helpful than just me blathering on about my campaign. But you know, who knows? Whatever. <laughs> That'll be good because we're down to one session a month for the next couple yeah. months. Yeah. So. Yeah. So cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening, 